Glad you came and hung around with me this morning. Anybody glad they came yet? You know, when you dedicate your life to worship God, the Bible says, do not be deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So never underestimate the time that you set aside for God to worship, to come here to listen to his word. You will receive harvest in your life. That's just the way things are. Matter of fact, it says, do not be deceived. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And, you know, I was almost going to preach on that this morning, that everywhere the Bible says, do not be deceived, you want to really stop and look at it because it says we probably can be deceived. Right? And so do not be deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, we live our lives by sowing and reaping. Those are just principles in the kingdom of God. And uh, that's just how we should live our lives, always realizing that we are sowing into our future. So, so, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 7. We started to look at this last week. And we're going to read these scriptures again. And it goes like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the next three words of verse 8 are, love never fails. Well, last week I talked about going from a child to an adult in the kingdom of God. The Bible talks about it in several places, that we go from children as baby Christians and we mature into adults. This is what our walk is all about. And one of the main things that it talks about is in the area of love. At the end of this chapter, just a couple verses later after I preached there, Paul talks about when I was a child, I did childish things. When I became an adult, I put those childish things away. And he's talking about this in reference to love. And so that's one of the areas that we can see in the Bible. If we're going to go from a child to an adult in Christianity, we need to learn how to love and what the Bible says about that love. Love is the top, top priority. It is in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we are to be given a new commandment. And that commandment for us in this dispensation of grace is that we are to love. That's our commandment. We're to love. Now, the crazy thing about this, what I looked at last week, is the Bible tells us that unlike our earthly bodies, our physical bodies, you're born a baby, you can grow into an adult, and there's really nothing you can do to stop that. It just happens. Day by day, you get older and older and older and older, and that just happens. You grow from a baby into an adult. But the Bible tells us, walking in the kingdom of God, that you can stay a baby for years before you turn into an adult. In the matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, the writer says to the book of Hebrews, he says, by now you ought to be teachers, you still have need to be taught, and you still receive the milk rather than solid food. And so he says, you ought to be teachers by now but you still need to be taught. And so it says to me that we can stay babies a really long time. That Paul was saying to these people, you've been Christians a long time, and I thought I'd be able to come to you and teach you as adults, but you still need baby food. 
And so it scares me to think for myself and for others that we can be babies a really, really, really long time. And I just don't want to spend my life here and God received me into the kingdom of God and saying, well done my, or just welcome baby. <laughs> and so we need to learn what love is. And the Bible teaches us that. And so this week I got around to listening to uh, Pastor Dan's preach here from a couple of weeks ago. And John, you're next on the table. I haven't listened to yours yet, but this week I was listening to Pastor Dan. I got to tell you, you're an anointed man of God, man. From the moment I turned that thing on, I knew that he had been doing this a while and had spent presence in the time of God that when I was listening, I, I was, it was wonderful. Because I'm always listening as a, you know, somebody takes the pulpit when I'm away. And, you know, there's one side of me that just wants to hear what's going on in my church. And then there's this other side that I just want to hear as a student too and just hear the word of God. And I got to tell you, through that whole sermon, God was speaking to me about my personal life, which is what I wanted to happen because I just know that that's such an anointed situation. Then when someone's in my pulpit and I can still sit there and just receive the word of God. So thank you for doing that. That was a wonderful morning. So he talked about these attributes or what love is. And so I was just going to say, go listen to Pastor Dan and, and, and not worry about redoing it. But I thought, you know what? Repetition in this area, I don't think we can get enough. And even if I have just a little different take or can add something to him, I just want to walk through these attributes of love, of God's love, and what we're supposed to walk in one more time. And so the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, tells us what love is. What does it look like for us to go from a baby to an adult? It means that we're to be able to walk in love. And what does that look like? And it goes through several things. It lists several things. And the first thing it says that love is, is that love suffers long. Forbearance, patience. Love doesn't know how to quit on a relationship. That's what the first thing says. Now, I'm not talking about the other side of things. We're going to look at that as well. That's one of the do not be deceived, by the way, is um, bad company corrupts good habits. Now, I'm not talking about just hanging around people no matter how abusive they are to you and whatever, but love never gives up on a relationship. Um, it just wants the best for people. And so that's what it means that it suffers long. And the wonderful thing about that is as I read this about how we're supposed to be, it also tells me how God is about us, right? And I thank God that God suffers long with me, Amen. right? I don't know about you. You might be perfect in your daily walk, but at the end of most days, I'm like, God, thank you that you suffer along with me because the things and where my mind went and the ups and downs and the highs and lows and different things. Now, obviously we're all walking through that and getting better from glory unto glory at the same time. But I take stock of myself at the end of the day and I go, God, thank God you suffer long with this kid here. But teach me how to suffer long with others. Teach me how to walk in that. Teach me how to not give up on people. The second thing it says is that love is kind. And one of the definitions I looked up for being kind is to be adaptable or compliant to the needs of other. And so let me bring that down into layman's terms to our level. Don't demand others to be like you, but become what others need you to be for them. Listen to that again. Don't demand others be like you, but become what others need you to be for them. Isn't that good? Imagine if we just brought that to our relationships. You know, rather than judging all the things that we don't like about that person around us because we're not that way, why don't we think about in terms of what can I be for that person? What do they need? Can you imagine just what relationships and gatherings would be like if we just flipped that one 
It just said, I'm going to go to a meeting or I'm going to go to a supper. I'm going to go hang out with this person. All I'm going to do is think about what can I be to that person? And I guarantee you that you'll leave that place productive. Productive. You will advance the kingdom of God, which is what it's all about. And we'll learn how to love. This is a learning process. We're going from babies to adults here. We have to learn this stuff. So don't demand others to be like you, but become what others need you to be for them. Thirdly, love does not envy. It does not envy. Again, I just looked up a definition of envy for here. It means to be radically consumed with your own desires and plans. And it wants what others have. Again, same sort of thing as the last one, right? Imagine bringing that to the table. We get into conversations all the time and we all do it. We're in conversations or we're in people or we see something new or we go to someone's house. Or we're always thinking about what we can get for ourselves. Man, I'd like that. Man, I'd like this. What a, like that. What about what can I add? What can I give? Not to be consumed and desire what others have. Love does not envy. It is not consumed with what others have. Next, love does not parade itself. This is a hard one for some people, including myself. It doesn't parade itself. I looked that up as well in the original Greek word, and it says it's a lot of self-talk. One who endlessly promotes himself and exaggerates his own virtues. We always talk about it, Jonathan and I, when we get into conversations, that it's just natural habit. We want to one-up each other. You know what I mean? It's like you get up, oh, I hurt my knee. Oh, you should see my knee, right? Oh, my neck, oh, my back, right? We always want to one-up people, you know, or someone's sharing a story about what they did and how good. Well, you should have seen back in my day or when I did this. That's what it is. It always wants to one-up somebody. And you know what? I, I, you've been there because you're in conversations and, and we do it all the time and we have to really take stock. But when you're in conversation, if you find yourself not listening and just coming up with a good response, that's one-upmanship. God wants us to listen and then form your next bit of words. But we do it all the time. People get talking and we just can't wait to get the next over top up, right? Either disagreeing or one-upping. Love doesn't one-up. It doesn't parade itself. It doesn't do a bunch of self-talk. You should see me. It builds other people up. It listens to them. It values what they're saying. We laugh at each other in our home between Sherry, Jonathan, and I, one-upping in that thing. Oh, my neck. Oh, my neck. But I think really, we just want, we just want we're one and up each other so that we get taken care of. <laughs> Rub my neck. No, my neck's worse. <laughs> so that's just fun. But Now, these are usually the people that we run away from in, in, in reality. The, the conversations aren't good. And oftentimes, puffing up, it looks prideful, but it's rooted in insecurities. We want people to know how good we are, how wonderful we are. But the kingdom of God is flipped. We want to tell other people how wonderful they are. And we want to lift them up. We want to be the servants, even on those emotional levels. It's not easy. We're learning this love stuff. But that's what we're supposed to do. Rather than be one-upping, we're supposed to be edifying others. Others. So very similar to the last one, love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Puffed up simply means swollen or thinking you are better than others that nobody can do a job like you or others don't have the same thing to offer as you do and that's something that we have to learn in love 
when we look down on people. And again, that's sometimes rooted in insecurity as well. We want everybody else pushed down around us so that we look bigger and better. But we do. We have this thing that we go through in life that nobody can be who we are, we are and be as good as us and do the things that we can do. But the fact is everybody's so wonderfully gifted. And our job is to promote them and edify their gifts in their lives. And so when we get into a room, don't go to a party and think about how much you can brag yourself up in a day or an evening. Why don't you go brag somebody else up and, or, or invest in somebody else and what they have to say? And I want to tell you, because the kingdom of God is so flipped, God knows what he's talking about. But when you get around prideful people, you don't usually want to hang around them. But when you get around people that are so invested in you and listen to you, you notice you want those people around you? And we're so opposite. We think if we go, hey, I like climbed Mount Everest and ran, you know, 80 miles in 12 minutes. And, and you should see, I got all of my job at work. They're just promoting me like crazy and all this kind of stuff. And oh yeah, you think you're good at sports. You should have seen me when I was 20. People don't want to be around that. But we think if they, if I can build myself up big enough that they're going to want the hero to be around them, but they don't. They don't. It's the opposite. Now, when we start to build other people up, that's when people want to be around you when you invest in them, right? You know, I've heard this many times that uh, a life is changed not because they believe in somebody, but a life is changed because somebody believes in them. That's the big difference. And we've all been there, I'm sure. Now, we can have heroes and sports heroes and kind of stuff, but they don't change our lives. They might give us a bit of vision and where we might want to be in life, but a life is not changed that way. A life has changed when somebody invests in us. I know this is just kind of methodically walking through this, but I just want you to open your heart and hear this. Love does not behave rudely. Definition is just tactless or thoughtless, inconsiderate, discourteous, bad manners, harsh language, insensitive. Those are the definitions I found for this. So love does not behave rudely. It's not tactless. It's not thoughtless. It's not inconsiderate. It's not discourteous. It doesn't have bad manners. It doesn't use harsh language. And it's not insensitive to people. That's learning how to walk in love. It's even manners. We're losing so many manners in this age because it's, it's just the please and the thank yous and the openings of the doors. And people are too scared to open a door for a woman because they think it's, it's you know, it's, it's not woke enough. I will open doors for every shopping mall I walk into. If there's a woman behind me, I'll wait. Every restaurant. You know, family behind me, I'll open and let the whole crew in. That's just, it's what we should do, you know? And uh, we need to be different. Love is different. Love is different. It truly is. It doesn't behave rudely. You know, even our mouths, we got to watch our mouths. We do. You know, years ago, I quit swearing. <laughs> years ago. I'm not saying I haven't sweared since I quit swearing, you know? You get hit hard enough in certain areas or stub something hard enough, things come out that you don't realize. But as a general rule, I quit swearing. Now, it wasn't necessarily even to please God, but it was to walk in his ways. And if that's walking in love, it's not behaving rudely. Yeah, I quit swearing years ago. And, and people ask me about that. And I said, even from a business perspective, I tell people this all the time. When I'm sitting down in meetings and they'll just start dropping all the cuss bombs and stuff, and I, sometimes I'll just stop and say, why, why do you swear so much? And most people don't even pay attention to it. But this is, when they're in business or they're trying to promote a business or, or something that they're doing, this is what I share with them. This, I say, this is why I don't swear. I said, I've never met anybody in my life that said, I won't hang around that person because he doesn't cuss enough. 
I've never met anybody. He says, I won't do business with that guy. He doesn't cuss enough. But I've heard people say, I don't want to be around that guy. He's too vulgar. So just from a business perspective, I thought, if I catch five more percent of people, they don't notice that I'm not swearing. They're not like, oh man, that dude, he should swear more. But we get around people, that's all they do is cuss. And then you lose that percentage of people in your life that you could influence either by business or just by the kingdom or what it is that they're turned off. But you'll never turn somebody off by not swearing. And so when I got that into my life, I just quit cussing so much at all. Unless I stub something like I said. It doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Now the Greek word for this, it was a word that was used to depict a person who is so upset about not getting what he wanted that he turns to the court system to sue or demand what he's striving to obtain. And so it does not seek its own. That's pretty strong language. And I don't really know how to translate that properly even for myself. But it's putting other people in front of us. And this just kind of is the same theme throughout the entire love walk here. It's just simply putting other people ahead. One of the definitions that it used for seek itself is someone who puts words in other people's mouths, who holds other people accountable for promises they never made, manipulates for their own gain. You know, we do that in arguments too, right? It's like, you said this, and, and just to build our, our, our argument when we don't even know if it's true. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Now, the word provoke is a cool word. It comes from two Greek words, which means alongside and to poke. When put together, it depicts someone alongside you, poking you continuously and aggressively and assaulting you in that manner. So love is not provoked, which means we don't provoke others as well, unless it's to good works, the Bible tells us. But it's not provoked as well. We don't take offense easily. To people. Another translation is love is not offended. And so that's a hard one. I can get easily offended. Now I'm getting better at dropping the offense, but you guys all know that for the first 10 seconds something happens, offense is there. And we, we pick it up and then we have a choice to keep it or to put it back down. You know, saying we all went to Florida here for, for a couple weeks and we all got along. I got along with my, I even got along with her. And, uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, Nana and I have got along almost since day one other than a few little things. But you get mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, myself and Sherry, and Jonathan. And for two weeks, there wasn't one scrap. And I'm not sure we could have done that five years ago, I said. I'm not sure we could have. I don't know. But I think it's a good sign that we've grown a little bit in love. And I think the most part that I think about it, the greatest thing in the area of love is there's lots of opportunity to be offended. But in that time, maybe because we were stuck in a house and didn't want it to blow up, there was opportunity to fight, but we just all laid down the offenses and didn't retaliate on offense. You know? And just thinking about it now as we're standing here, we ought to do that more in life. Right? And that's a big one, putting our offenses down. You know, when somebody says something and we're like, you know that feeling? Do you know who you're talking to? That's the response. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, how dare you talk to me like that? You know who you're talking to? I mean, it doesn't always come out that way, but that's the feeling of it. And we need to put down our offenses. I know this is just walking through, and I'm not being super exciting this morning, but I know you're getting something out of this. Love is not provoked. It doesn't take offense. Love thinks no evil. 
It literally means to credit someone's account or keep a track of every behavior. This is something we need to learn in marriage, right? And from, I don't know, I can say it's from experience. But women tend to remember a lot longer than men do. There's things that happened like 15 years ago that they can see like now that I don't even remember they took place. They're good at remembering. So they have to be even better than men usually at taking no evil. Love takes no evil. It does not keep track of every bad behavior. And that's, that's something we got to learn. That's something that's hard to do. Every time someone comes back into your presence, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we have to be stupid about how we live our lives. You know, I'm not saying that. But it's general core of it is that we want to forget what they've done that's bad so that we can believe the best of them. God doesn't drag our past up. Do you realize that? And again, thinking about all this, this is God towards us. He's telling us, you love like I love you. God does not drag our past up. He might deal with something so we can walk better in the future, but he never holds it against us, our past. And so if we want to love like God, if you can't deal with something in the immediate now, that's one thing. But if you want to stay in a relationship and still want to bring something up from 20 years ago to bring in punishment, you're not walking in love. I'm not saying if the habit reoccurs today that we don't have to deal with something, but it lets go. Love does not think evil, does not keep account. Love does not rejoice in iniquity either. Do you ever rejoice in somebody else's hardship? Think about that for a second. Do you ever rejoice in somebody else's hardship? I think I do once in a while. I think when you see people that are doing good and they're not really Christians, and they're doing stupid things, and then they fall, I'm like, yeah. Do you ever do that? Deserves them right. And I'm not sure we're supposed to do that. Right? I've been trying to, and I'm getting a lot better at blessing my enemies. I am. And not blessing like, bless them with a brick, Lord. <laughs> like, I've been getting better at blessing my enemies. I honestly have. Where something happens, and I say, Lord, Lord, They've done something really stupid and they've done, even if they've done it to me and I go, Lord, bless them so much that they know who you are. Because that's usually the core of all this stuff anyways. Bless them so much that they know who you are. Because the Bible says that the goodness of God will bring a man to repentance. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. I looked up a definition for that and it says that this means that we love aggressively advertises the good. When people come up in a conversation, a lot of times people want to gossip and just it automatically our minds want to go to the negative on that person. You want to be able to tell something negative about that person. You do. Whether it's out of jealousy or whether it's just out of trying to look better ourselves. But I challenge everybody, just if this is one thing we get for this week, when you're in conversation and someone comes up, I challenge you to just promote that person to whoever you're in the presence of. If a person comes up in conversation, just promote that person. Think of something good that they did and promote it. And lift that person up. It's, it doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't. And not just the ones that you absolutely love and want to be around. When a name comes up that you might not even care for, think about what's good and promote the person. 
I'm telling you, these are things that, you know why we go, ugh, flesh wants to go, no. I hate that person and I want other people to hate that person. But Bible says don't do it. Think of something good and lift it up. It rejoices in the, the truth. It aggressively advertises the good. It bears all things, which simply translates, it, it denotes a, 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 a cover that covers a roof of a house. And so we want to be the protection for a storm or a rain. Love protects, it shields, it guards. And that kind of goes with the last thing about edifying something else. If you hear something bad about someone, I dare you to cover it up rather than share it. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. Now you imagine if God shared our crap, right? I got enough to go around. He covers it up for us. He doesn't share our junk. And so when we get into conversation, just practice that. You know something bad about somebody and their name comes up and it happens to me a lot because I hear a lot of things. And so the name will come up and um, we know we're not bad people because our flesh says you want to share that. It does. And then we turn it into Christianity. We go, I want to share that. I'm just telling you so you pray about it. You liar. Now you're a liar too. No, you just want to share it. Now you're trying to make you look like a Christian like you didn't do it. I dare you not to share it. And I dare you to take that to your own prayer closet and pray him. Pray him, him or her, into her victory without telling anybody. You want to see a reward that the Lord puts on you? You want to see, don't be deceived, whatever a man soweth, that's what he also reap. You want to see how many people God will get praying for you? If you take it to your own prayer closet and free somebody else up without sharing their dirt with anybody? You want to talk about sowing and reaping? God will just start placing into people. He'll get so many people praying you into your next level. This is kingdom stuff. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It always wants to believe the best in every situation. And that's tough, right? People come into you, and especially if you're a boss or whatever, whenever people come to you, and it's like hard not to want to like find out the wrong in the situation if something bad's happened. But you got to learn to believe the best and be full of hope and make sure we can turn people. Hope, love hopes all things. It has an expectation for good things. Are any of you Murphy's Laws in here? It's going to happen. It's going to happen to me. Something bad's going to happen. It's going to happen to me. Right? Nothing good ever happens. Figures. That does not believe all things. That does not hope all things. That doesn't. Optimism is so powerful in the kingdom of God. And I work on it all the time. I, I do. I mean, I was, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to share that one. Forget it. I'm too, I'm too behind. But it hopes all things. It does. It expects good things. It speaks good things. Love endures all things as well. It acts like I've been talking about it, and then it digs in and becomes unmovable. Immovable. It does. Now I'm going to end with two scriptures. I know I'm going a little over my time today. But if you listened to all that and said, man, that is hard, you're not alone. You're in good company. But I want to tell you something. Two quick scriptures. Romans 5.5. 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to you. It's hard, all right. If it was left up to us, we'd never be able to do it. But when we hear this stuff today and we go, God, this sounds impossible, but with you, you live in me and the Holy Ghost is in me and you shed that love abroad in my heart and I know with your help, I will be able to love people. 
I will be able to do this. Next scripture, which just confirms that scripture, is um, Hebrews 10 and 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. So we're not just talking about the law here, that this is what you have to do and you, you gotta work really hard at it. God is saying, this is how I act. This is how I love you. And this is how I want you to love people, but you're not gonna be on your own. If you just lay down your stuff and let me help you, I have already shed that love abroad in your heart. Your heart is full of it. He says, you just gotta release it. And you know what that means? It's just by faith, you begin to act on it. And the flesh is going to hate you for it. It's going to be like starting the worst diet of your life. It is. And I hate starting new diets. It's like them first three or four days, it's like torture. But then it gets easier and it gets easier. And pretty soon you start to crave the good food rather than the old food. And that's the same way with this. You just, ah, it's like, Lord, bless them. I want to kill them, but bless them. Honestly, bless them, Lord. And you just start doing things, or if somebody's just like saying something and you want to one-up them, you just say, you know what? That's great, man. You're doing a great job. Man, you really did that? That's awesome. And we just start making these adjustments, and you're going to walk away thinking, man, I wanted to tell them something. But God's saying, good job. You shut your mouth, and you let me come out. Let the king of glory come out. And then as we do that, we also reap what we sow, like I said. And all of a sudden, people are lifting us up and people are praying for us and people are treating us nice. Did you get anything out of that? Now, I got one last thing I want to challenge you with before we close. If you listened to that entire thing this morning and you were thinking about somebody else and that they need to change, this is the bombshell. You missed the whole sermon. You didn't even get any of it. It was totally for you if that's what you were thinking through the whole thing and you better go back and relook. Yeah. It's like I tell marriage counselors, it says how, you know, wives treat your husband and loves treat your husband. And, and we always want to go, see, the Bible says, wife, you're supposed, to, you're, you're supposed to act this way. And I always take it to them and I say, the Bible says, wife, treat your husband. He's not talking to you. He says, husband, treat your wives this way. And the wives want to go, husband, see, see, see in the Bible. And you got to say, no, God said husband. He wasn't talking to you. Listen to your own part. And we listen to ours. And we act out what God's speaking to us about, right? Not trying to correct everybody else because we got our own mess, man. You get something out of that this morning? Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your word, for your love, for your grace. I thank you, God, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. God, this is hard. We know it is. Our flesh hates us for it. But we are not servants of our flesh. We are servants of righteousness. We are servants of you. We are. We belong to you. We are your ambassadors and your kids on this earth. Help us to walk in love. Help us to let that love come out. In the name of Jesus, amen.